Anyone who likes abandoned places and goes exploring them will have at least one abandoned asylum on their to-explore list. I'm no different. There are several abandoned places in Tennessee to explore, and I have explored several of them. I've been exploring abandoned places for a few years now. It's an addictive hobby, sometimes dangerous. There's a small group of explorers in my hometown, and I participate with them on larger explorers. When it comes to smaller or simpler explorers, I prefer to go alone or just with another person, usually my friend Willie. Willie and I have gone on some really great explorers together. We're always looking for that one awesome place that has it all. The creep factor, spooky history, scary tales from the other explorers. We record all of our expeditions. Willie's my go-to guy when it comes time to do EVP recordings, you know, full-spectrum photography and things of that nature. I'm okay at that sort of thing, but mostly I'm just good with my camera. I can draw out the perfect angle of a room, even with bad lighting, and clutter in my way. A few summers back, Willie and I decided to go explore a place that was controversial at best. It was supposed to be the first hospital in this part of Tennessee. Supposedly, it was used to house some violent mental patients as well. We had all heard of all the ghost stories. We'd heard of all the deaths. We also heard that all those stories were, well, complete fabricated bullshit. And this seemed to be what was told by the owners of the old building. You see, it sits on a privately owned property, just as it always has. And the cops will tell the same story, even though a great many of them won't have anything to do with the building. So we picked a sunny day and parked across the street at a mattress store. The driveway leading from the main road to the asylum has been blocked off by a large chain attached to two large metal poles. There's not a no trespassing sign, but the police do patrol the place heavily and they don't hesitate to haul your ass in and give you a hefty fine for being there. Traffic is steady on the main road between the mattress store and the hospital, and we made it across and onto the property without much effort though. I was mostly worried about being caught by the cops. Nature had done its best to retake the place. It's been empty for most of eight decades. The tree near the stone and brick structure were large, and their trunks were twisted. Deformed with bulbous growths and sickly looking compared to trees and shrubs at the border of the property, which had straight, strong trunks with thick and robust limbs that sprouted beautiful, healthy leaves. The structure looked like an old, very large Victorian-style house. Nothing about the architecture announced that it was a hospital or even an asylum, it was just an old house with completely boarded up windows and doorways. It was beautiful, actually, and I spent a considerable amount of time snapping photos of it. Though we tried, we found no entrance to the place, and that's odd for an abandoned place, especially one that has stood empty for nearly 80 years. Now, I'm not saying that... We have a bunch of law-breaking vandals running around here, but what I'm saying is that usually, by the time I make it into a place like this, someone 
has already pried open a door or dislodged loose boards over a window, and there's always a way inside. The boards over these windows and doors was old, but still solid, and there wasn't even a loose nail to be found in them. Willie pointed out that there was no graffiti of any kind anywhere in the property either. The gazebo, the little garage, nothing had been tagged at all. The longer we roamed the property, the more intrigued I became. Sitting in the gazebo, I noted that there were dead leaves pushed against the sides under the benches, but there was no trash, not even a cigarette butt or stray candy wrapper. I snatched more photos to capture the cleanliness of the property. We had never seen a place with such a lack of human contact. It's not like this place is far back in the woods and isolated. It sits a few hundred feet off the main road. I mean, hell, there's even a McDonald's butted up against the property. The logic would be that windblown trash from that McDonald's should end up somewhere on the property, but it hadn't. It was as if everything avoided that property. Or there was a very dedicated groundskeeper somewhere nearby. Someone had trimmed the grass recently, so maybe it was a groundskeeper cleaning the trash and normal debris away each day. We both wanted to see inside the place even more after seeing how tightly it was sealed. My reasoning was that if no one had bothered to break into the place in all that time, there had to be something to the stories. I mean, right? Well, we thought so. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about returning that night with a pry bar. We both thought about it. We discussed it in great detail, and in the end, I couldn't justify breaking into any place just to film it. I made Willie promise that he wouldn't go there alone and break in too. He had been acting out of character ever since we left the property, though. And that night, I couldn't sleep. And I occupied myself by developing some prints of the photos I'd taken. There were almost 200 photos on my two cameras. And I knew I had taken more pictures than usual, but not that many. I passed it off as just being distracted by the strangeness of the property. And I developed only two dozen prints... So I uploaded all the pictures from the cameras to my computer. It was only 11 when I'd finished, and I still couldn't sleep. I was too wired up and full of energy. Researching the old asylum online, I began to really dig through any articles on the internet that I could find that mentioned the place. You see, Johnson City isn't a large place compared to Knoxville and Nashville, but it's big enough that you could certainly get lost in the overwhelming amount of information about it on the web. I read stories that were so unbelievable as to be laughable. But at two in the morning, I didn't find them humorous. In fact, well, they disturbed me, making it even more impossible to fall asleep. I found a gallery of pictures of the place back when it was used in the early 1900s. The pictures taken after the place had been closed down, but before it was boarded up, were numerous. And some of these had ghosts and demons marked with bold red circles. I mean, obviously, some were hoaxes, but the vast majority of them looked real enough. 
They spanned a few decades and were from people all over the Johnson City area, and even some out-of-state people who had been visiting here. The place had been captured in the photos, but wasn't the center of most of them. And then, in one of these ghost-caught-in-picture-circle article things, someone has posted a picture of three tunnels at the far edge of the property. And the article writer is talking about how Al Capone used to transport illegal liquor through those tunnels. Now, whether it was true or not, well, I just don't know. I didn't care about Al Capone's liquor route through here either. What interested me was the tunnels. The two tunnels ran under the property, and there was an entrance to the basement of that house in two of the three tunnels. Now, no one had ever mentioned those tunnels before that I had heard. But I had seen those tunnels hundreds of times as I drove over the little bridge there. Everyone who ever drove over that bridge actually had seen them. Two circular and one square tunnel. Just right out in the open. That may be my way into the hospital. I would have to look it over first, and I wanted to call Willie, but it was half past three in the morning, so he was probably asleep. I went into the dark room to check that my prints were dry. They were. I took them down and looked over them quickly. They were clean and crisp, just the way I like my work to look. And knowing that I needed to rest before going out to the hospital again... I crawled onto the bed and lay there with my hands behind my head, eyes closed, counting imaginary sheep. I counted 300 of them before giving up again. And so, I scanned the pictures I uploaded to my computer. Maybe I had caught a ghost on one of the many pictures there. And I put them in full screen mode and examined them closely but found nothing too strange. There was nothing there I couldn't dismiss. The sun came up and I gathered all my gear again. Willie answered on the first ring, sounding as if he had been pounding energy drinks already. And I told him about the tunnels. We stood on that bridge in the early morning light, looking down at the tunnels. Twenty feet down from where we stood was our way into that old asylum. We needed to get down there without the cops spotting us, though. The tunnels ran right under a bank that had been built sometime in the 90s. They ran at an angle across the bank's property and then fell straight all the way to the asylum's basement, according to that post I read on the internet. We hurried down the embankment and wasted no time deciding on the middle tunnel. The square one. We could stand up straight in that one. Using flashlights, we made our way quickly away from the tunnel opening and under the bank. The angle had cut off our view of the opening. That meant no one out there could see us either. That was a good thing. Shining my light in the direction we had to walk, I had a moment of doubt. The darkness ate the light a few yards in front of us, and there was an echo of dripping water and the severely muffled sounds of traffic but that was faint and far away. The dank smell was a bit unexpected. I had expected a more offensive odor, 
like that of a stagnant pond with dead things in it. My best guess was that the opening to the basement was about 200 feet into that tunnel. The old door was on the right side and looked like an ancient castle door, just thick slabs of wood held together with metal bands and nails. In fact, Willie laughed as he reached out and touched the door. He started recording immediately, and I shot a couple of stills of the door and then a couple further into the tunnel. Who knew what the flash might show in those pictures later, I thought. That door opened easily, and well, now that I think about it, probably too easily. It should have been rusted into place as tightly as it had been if it were welded shut. And at the time, though, we were just thrilled at our good luck. Just as the door thwacked the wall, we heard voices. Willie looked at me. He said, Did you hear that? And I nodded. It was faint, though. Far away whispers. No discernible words, just the sound of many voices whispering. And then it was gone. Past the open doorway were steps cut into the earth and lined with large, flat rocks that looked well-worn in the center. The walls were dirt on either side of the nine steps, and Willie held his light far out in front of him, swinging it back and forth as we ascended into the basement. The floor was dirt except the few boards that had been laid in a straight line to the other side of the room, where there was a longer set of wooden steps leading up to the asylum's first floor. The basement consisted of a large boiler, a coal chute, and some random wooden tables along one wall below some shelves. We could hardly decipher what the things on the shelves could be used for, but in the end... We decided the stuff was a mixture of leather straps, like you see on an old hospital bed, and other hardware that we hoped to never learn about. Some of the instruments looked like torture devices we'd seen in old war movies. He recorded an eye snap stills. Then we mounted the stairs, eager to see the asylum where patients were kept. Now, some of the risers had rotted away, making the climb very treacherous. I reached for the door handle, and those whispers returned. Air circled up from the basement carrying the distinct odor of decay. Before the whispers stopped, I had opened that door and vaulted into the room beyond. In my mind's eye, I could see those demonic faces from the online pictures. Willie tripped over my foot and sprawled onto the floor, his flashlight skittering and spinning out of his hand across the room. And in the spinning light beam, I saw figures standing against the walls. I shone my light in a circle and saw that there were people lined up against every wall, even the one behind me. Willie moaned, making it to his knees. He grabbed his light and uttered a shaky, ah, sound as he saw what I was seeing. Willie, we need to back out slowly, quietly. None of the people moved. 
Their gray, eyeless faces stared straight ahead, and not at either of us. I kept my light pointed into the room as I looked over my shoulder for the door, and Willie jumped to his feet and ran for it, darting by me. The door slammed before he could get out, and we both grabbed at the handle, pulled and tugged, but the door wouldn't budge. Shuffling, stealthy noises from behind us made me turn. The people were gone, and in the center of the room was a hospital bed. A waif of a girl in her teens was strapped to it. She struggled against the leather straps, and I wanted to help, but this wasn't real. It couldn't be. A man appeared in a doctor's outfit. He uncovered tools on a small table, and the girl began to scream, and that scream sounded as if it were coming from miles away instead of the same room. The doctor pulled the girl's gown open, revealing a huge, ugly wound in her side. With the scalpel in hand, he set to work, and the girl screamed more. Willie thrashed against the door, screaming as much as the girl did. The doctor turned his head sharply, looking directly at me. There was dark blood covering his left hand and arm to the elbow. The scene rippled like the ripples over the surface of still waters. The doctor pulled something long and slippery from the girl's side, and he let it fall to the floor as he watched me. And before the scene faded completely, he had sewn up her side with a thick cord. I turned to the door and yelled at Willie to help me pull on the handle instead of just kicking uselessly at it. Together, we combined our efforts once again and finally opened the door. I grabbed Willie as he tried to run for the steps. I screamed at him, the steps are broken, as he yanked away from me. And in his panic, he ran headlong down the stairs and I heard the crack of old wood and the thud as he hit the dirt floor below, his light flickering out. I made my way to the bottom and shone my light around until I saw him laying under the stairs on his side. His leg was twisted and mangled unnaturally underneath him. It was obviously broken. He moaned as I checked the rest of him for damage, a long cut across the side of his forehead looked deep, and he was losing a lot of blood from it. He needed to get to a hospital. Willie groaned. I broke my leg, Seth. You've got to drag me out of here, I'm bleeding. And he struggled to get his good leg under himself, but he couldn't stand up. My cell phone didn't have signal in the basement. I told him. I have to get out of here and try for a signal. I'm going to call an ambulance. And I started for the steps that led down to the tunnel. No, don't leave me in here, Seth. Don't you do it. Drag me, please. Just don't leave me. He dragged himself out from under the steps. I turned back to help him. I couldn't leave him there with pouring blood and unable to walk. And from the top of the broken stairs... A man's voice drifted to us. I'll help him. 
We looked up in time to see a grayish white streak of light move down those stairs, and then the doctor stood grinning down on Willie from two feet away. Willie screamed hysterically and clawed at the dirt floor. I stared at the apparition of the doctor in shock. He looked so real. He seemed to have substance. I couldn't see through him, but he flickered like a fluorescent bulb does just before it winks out forever. Willie grabbed my leg, his grip like steel through the denim of my jeans. He nearly pulled me down as he tried to stand. I grabbed his hands and began dragging him backwards, never taking my eyes off the apparition. Just as I thought we were going to make it to the steps in the tunnel, the doctor disappeared only to reappear with an old bone saw, the kind that looked like a hacksaw, and he laughed. He looked at me and said, that leg's gotta go. Hold him still, boy. He put the saw to Willie's broken leg, and I pulled harder, but I couldn't move him. Willie thrashed and screamed, but the doctor wouldn't be moved. With the first downstroke of that saw, I swung at the doctor, and my arm passed through him, and I nearly fell. Willie passed out. I was thankful. I fought with the apparition. Each time I swung at him, he flickered as my arms and hands hit nothing but air and passed through him. How could he be cutting my best friend's leg if he had no substance? And I heard and saw every gut-wrenching cut of the saw. And then he was done. Willie's leg was severed below the knee. I dialed 911 and punched the send button even though my phone showed no service, and I was tying my shirt around Willie's leg above the knee to try and slow the bleeding when the doctor flickered into being again. I cursed him, threatened him, but he didn't even seem to notice me. He held something glowing red in a pair of ice-block tongs, which he laid against the bloody stump of Willie's leg. I screamed and retched. The raw, bloody mess below Willie's knee sizzled. The smell of frying meat filled the air. The apparition grinned. It was the look of pure madness. And then he disappeared. I was checking Willie's pulse when I heard the voice on the phone. I dropped it beside Willie when I dialed 911. Crying, I reached for the phone. Will and I tried to tell the police and the EMTs what had happened, but no one believed us. The official story was that while we were committing the crime of breaking and entering, Willie fell through the steps and lost his leg. They even said that I'd probably saved his life by cauterizing the wound. I spent time in jail for breaking and entering, and Willie spent weeks in the hospital. Now, Willie dropped his camera in that place before he fell down the stairs. And I'm sure the proof of what happened is on that camera, but I'd be damned before I'd go back and get it.